The following audio is from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. More information about First Baptist Church can be found at www.fbcclayton.com. Go to Colossians chapter 4. We are actually, um, in your bulletin it says, I believe, verses 2 through 6. Uh, and that's on me because I didn't tell Cassie that we were changing it. But we're going to do the rest, we're going to do all of chapter 4 today. Uh, so we will close out Colossians this morning. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. And as I said, this will, be, this will be our last message in Colossians. Uh, this is the fourth, I believe the 14th um, message in there. We started on November 4th. So this has been uh, quite, a, quite a series these last uh, two and a half months, three months as we've, as we've gone through here. Um, so next, uh, in two weeks, we're going to start and we'll spend four weeks in John 17, uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer in the garden the night before he was crucified, leading up to um, Easter. And so really in the, in the month of March, we're going to have a, a, um, an emphasis on prayer as we lead up to Easter. During that time, we will also have our week of prayer for North American missions. And uh, in your bulletin, you will have um, a prayer guide to guide you through that week. I believe it's the first week of March. Um, so we will be, we'll be doing an emphasis on prayer throughout the month of March leading up to um, Easter. So uh, go with me to Colossians chapter 4, and let's stand together as we read the word that God has given us, starting in, we're going to start in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. There, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this, greeting, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you this morning for your word, and I thank you for this great book that we've studied together over the past three months. And I pray that you, uh, as we close out this morning, that you um, send with us uh, the message of the gospel from Colossians. Use that to be the bedrock for everything that we do, that, that all of our activities, all the Bible studies, um, everything that we do here, that it would have its roots and its foundations in the gospel. We ask all this in your name. Amen. You can be seated.
So as we close out, Paul really bookends his letter the same way he started it. Um, He says this in verse 2, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you remember, this is the same way he starts his letter. Chapter 1, verse 3, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he starts off his letter by telling the Colossian believers that he prays for them regularly. Now remember, he probably never met them. He comes to know through them because of Epaphras, who, who he just mentioned in the, in the end, uh, who is a member of the church, possibly its pastor. Uh, Paul's in prison, most likely in Rome at this time. Uh, and so he meets Epaphras, and Epaphras tells him about the Colossian believers and, and what they're dealing with, um, the struggles with the false teachers who've come in. And, uh, and so Paul writes this letter and sends it back uh, with a man named Tychicus, who he also sends uh, his letter to the Ephesians with. So he starts off saying, I, I pray for you, and then he ends it telling them to be watchful in prayer and asking for their prayers as well. He urges the believers to continue praying for themselves and for him. He says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So that's the first thing he said. He said we should be watchful in prayer with thanksgivings. Now, now what does that mean exactly? I think it means this. Um, we are to pray continually as First uh, Thessalonians 5.17 would tell us. Pray continually. Now, I don't think that means you always walk around with your head bowed and your eyes closed because life is going to be very rough for you if, you if you walk through it with that posture, okay? But in its simplest form, prayer is simply conversation with God, which you can have at any point. You can have it driving down the road, sitting at work, sitting in class. You know, we talk about them banning prayer from school. They, they can't do that. They can ban public prayer. They can never ban private prayer because you can sit there and pray um, sitting in class, reading your textbook, listening to your teacher. So we're to pray continually with thanksgiving. And I think, it, I think it's important that he puts that emphasis on it because as we submit our requests, as we submit our petitions to God, we should always remember the blessings that he's given us. And I believe that the, the blessings that he has bestowed upon us, that he's shown to us, should fuel our prayer life. Instead, we really do the opposite, don't we? Whereas when things are going great in our lives, we tend to slack off in prayer life a lot of times. Almost like it's telling God, hey, everything's great right now. Um, I got this. So you can go, fo- you know, you can go focus on some, some starving kids in, the, um, in Africa, it, 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 you know, and then, then when I need you again, when, when things get rough, then, then, we'll, then we'll talk. But for right now, I got this. That's the exact opposite, I think, of how we should do. In fact, in those times when things are going great, we should be praying prayers of thanksgiving to God for the blessings he's given us, not just coming to him when we have a need that we need to be filled. So that's the first thing he says. He says, uh, be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. And then, Verse 3, he says this, At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So he says, I want you to pray for yourselves, spend time in prayer for yourselves, but then also pray for us. Just like he said in the beginning, I pray continually for you. He asks in return their prayers for him. Um, so if we're, I, I have, I guess, you, three points this morning and they all start with C. That's just the way it 
worked out. That doesn't happen all that often. But uh, the first thing that we see here when he talks about prayer is he talks about communication with God. Because that's all prayer is. Like I said, it's just, it's just communicating with God, talking to God about anything and everything. Things that are going well in our lives and things that are not going so well in our lives. The blessings that he's given us, the, the things that, that we need. I think it's okay to even tell God the things we want. I really do. It's not like he doesn't know anyway, right? It's like if you're secretly like longing to be a millionaire, I don't think, I don't think God's like, you know, if we were to mention that to him, he's just appalled. He, he knows that's there anyway. Now what I think he'll do is if you start praying, Lord, I want to be a millionaire, I want to be a millionaire, he might um, begin to frustrate that a little bit um, and, and focusing, because I think what happens in prayer is that our priorities get rearranged and um, get aligned with God's priorities. Pray also for us. Tells them to be watchful in prayer. Same thing that Jesus told his disciples in the garden the night before he was crucified, to watch and pray, Mark 14, 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So prayer is not a passive thing. It's very active. Watch and pray. Pray, be on your guard and be on your guard in prayer so you can be alert when temptation comes. So that's the first thing. He wants us uh, to have communication with God. The second thing he wants us to have is conversations with non-believers. Look at uh, verse three. We'll read verses three through six. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he prays, he tells the Colossians to pray for him that he might be clear when he shares the gospel. Now think about this for a minute. Think about who's saying this. Paul is telling the Colossian believers to pray for him so that he might make the gospel clear. Paul, for whom much, from whom much of our understanding about the gospel comes. So if, you were to, if, if I was to ask you what the gospel is, a lot of us would say, uh, something like, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Paul. And because we've sinned, for the wages of sin is death. That's Paul. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's Paul. Okay? You see what I'm saying? Paul is where, not, even though he didn't write a gospel, so the gospels tell us about Jesus, so much of what Paul's letters do is clarify for us the gospel of Christ. So think about this. If Paul... One of the most, probably I think you could say the most influential human being in all of human history besides Jesus Christ, if he says to pray for him to be clear in the gospel, how much more do we need to pray that God would make the gospel clear in our lives? Let me tell you, as your pastor, I definitely need prayers that I would make the gospel clear. Because I get distracted easily. And so when I'm Maybe you've seen this. When I'm preaching, I can get off onto a trail pretty easily. If you're in our Wednesday night Bible study, um, it's a wonder we get anything done because we um, are guilty of chasing rabbits, okay? So I need prayers that I would stay focused, that I would be clear 
when I preach the gospel because that's what I want. I don't, I don't want you to leave out of, walk out of here scratching your head saying, I don't understand a thing he just said. I know there was a Bible text and he said something about it, but I'm not making the connection. So, so I want to be clear when we leave this place. Pray also for us that God may open a, to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Now remember where Paul was. He's in prison as he's writing this. He's in prison for sharing the gospel. And he's praying, or he tells the Colossian believers to pray for him that a door might be opened to share the gospel in prison. So get this, he's in prison for preaching the gospel and he's still focused on preaching the gospel. He was that committed to it. Now, most of the time, if you're thrown in prison for doing something, you should stop doing whatever it was you got thrown in prison for. Matter of fact, the only thing I can think that you should keep doing is spreading the gospel. So if you get thrown in prison for talking about the Bible and for preaching the gospel, that, that's like the only thing I can think a crime you would be convicted for that you should continue doing. Um, so so if, you're, if you get thrown in prison for not paying your parking tickets, you should probably pay your parking tickets, Okay. Well, Paul just kept right on preaching, so I'm going to keep not, no, no, that doesn't apply, okay? That, that is taking this out of context. Um, he's still focused on his mission. He's focused on what God called him to do. So what I see here in our conversations with non-believers, we need to pray diligently for pastors, for preachers, for teachers around the world. Um, we have some connections here. Um, if you were here on Wednesday night about a month ago when we had uh, Sergei Kolonkovsky, a young pastor, teacher, uh, seminary professor from the Ukraine, um, that, that's a connection that we have. And so, especially those of you who got to meet Sergei, you know, he's just a, an incredible young man, has an incredible story. And so we can lift him up in prayer. Um, I have some missionary friends in South Africa, uh, Jan and Erica Valyun, I uh, come here occasionally. I'm going to work to get them to come here and share about the work they do in South Africa. Uh, our pastor in Merkel led a group every year to uh, Peru. We have connections, and so even our ministry here can impact around the world. We took up a very generous love offering for Sergey when he was here, and that's a way that we impact what's happening around the world. Fr- from here, and I, I think that's amazing. From here, our, our church here in Clayton, New Mexico. In a part of the world, in a part of the nation that, that a lot of the country's forgotten about, we can have an impact on the rest of the world with the gospel by praying, by paying, by helping fund ministries, and by going. Uh, so I'm, I'm very excited about what God's gonna do. I think that he has a great plan for us to be involved, not just in missions here. Yes, we have to be involved locally. Not just here, but I think in our state and, and around the world, God wants to use First Baptist Clayton, maybe in just a small way, but, but listen, when, when we do small things with the gospel, God turns those into big things. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about what he's gonna do in the coming months and years uh, to impact not just our community, but to impact around the world. 
And as I said, coming up uh, in March, we're gonna have our week of prayer for North American missionaries. And another way we can focus on missions is to spend time in prayer for those who are on the front lines of the mission field, even here in the United States. Because believe it or not, there are folks here in the United States who've never heard the name of Jesus. And so we have missionaries and church planners who are making it their, um, who've made it their mission, that they have the calling from God to spread the gospel here at home, which is a very difficult place to spread the gospel. Um, so we'll, we'll talk more about that when we get there. We've got to be in prayer for people. They would make the gospel clear, that ears would be opened, eyes would be opened, hearts would be opened to the gospel of Christ. So then he shifts from him, his ministry, and asking them to pray about his ministry to the Colossian believers' actions. And, and we talked about this over the last several weeks, but this is what he says concerning evangelism, concerning sharing the gospel. Verse five, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So he has two ways here that we um, in, involve ourselves in conversations with non-believers and sharing the gospel. The first is our actions. Walk in wisdom by example. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. How do you live? What does your life say about what you believe? That's the first thing, but the second is important. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Evangelism always takes words. So it's not, I, I share the gospel with my actions or I share the gospel with my words. It's both and. It takes both. We've got to walk in wisdom. We've got to live godly lives. But at the same time, we've also got to be talking about the gospel. And so if you've, uh, if you've been in the explicit gospel study, um, Matt Chandler said one night, he said, I've never seen a waiter or a waitress serving a table where um, the couple orders iced tea instead of wine to drink, and they're like, wow, I need Jesus. Okay, that's not how it works. That, we, we've got to share the gospel as well. We, we've got to tell it. We, we, we've got to live it. Don't get me wrong. You've got to live it. Your actions have got to line up with your words, but we've got to use words. We have to use words. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 13, Sermon on the Mount. This will be familiar for you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, in our time, we use salt primarily for seasoning, right? And we use a lot of salt for seasoning. In Jesus' day, they would have used salt primarily for preservation because they didn't have refrigeration. So what he's saying here, that the picture that, that the disciples would have gotten when Jesus used this is that um, you are the salt of the earth. You are a preserving agent in the world. So as we share the gospel, we are actually, God is working through the gospel to preserve the world. So that as things are spinning out of control, as the gospel comes in and take, takes root, it can actually slow down the process of chaos and disorder taking over. And the gospel can preserve, can save the world. You're the salt of the earth. So that you may know how to answer each person. And, and listen, 
as believers, we, we cannot be afraid of questions because people have questions about spiritual things. If we believe the Bible has the answer, we can't be afraid of questions. Because if we refuse to answer, or if we are unable to answer, there are a myriad of religions, there are a myriad of philosophies who are jumping at the chance to answer questions. If we really believe this is the answer, we can't be afraid of questions. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now we stop there. That's not where the verse stops. That's where we stop, right? Um, Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. And so someone comes to us with questions, and a lot of time we're like, well, that's just ridiculous. You're dumb. The Bible says this. The verse goes on, but do it with gentleness and respect. So that doesn't mean I don't think necessarily uh, standing on a street corner with like Turner burn signs. I'm really not sure that that does us any good in, uh, in sharing the gospel. In fact, what, what I'm afraid, and this is what I'm really afraid happens, that people see that and they equate that with Christian. So when someone finds out that you're a believer in Christ, that you're a Christian, you get thrown into the um, picketing funerals. This God hates America, turn or burn, that, that, that's what we get equated to. And if we're arrogant when we approach people, that's just going to further turn them off to the gospel. We have to answer with gentleness and with respect and with patience. Sometimes sharing the gospel with someone takes years, years before we see fruit. The first Baptist missionary, William Carey, back in the 1800s, the first place that he went took him seven years before he had a convert to Christianity. I don't know about you, I think I would have given up after about a month. Like, this isn't working, right? It's, it's just not. It's, the gospel, they're just not ready for it. And the truth is, they weren't. And so he, instead of giving up, he waited seven years. He shared the gospel before he had his first, the first person put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. Gentleness, respect, patience and so listen don't, don't be afraid of questions as I said people in our, in our day and age they have questions about spiritual things don't be afraid to say I don't know if someone asks you a question and I've learned some people have just like obscure questions about the Old Testament right well why was Elijah fed, fed by ravens and not by an eagle I don't know. And so we can't be afraid to say, I don't know, and, and, but don't just leave it at that. Oh, I don't know. The, the proper response is, I don't know, but let me find out. Let me do some research. So if somebody comes to you with a question, you're just baffled, say, I don't know. Um, you can ask me. I'm not saying I have all the answers, but I have Google. 
and I have some Bible resources, okay? So, so if somebody asks a question and you just have no idea, come ask me. And, and my response might be too, I don't know, but I'll find out. <laughs> um, and, and so we can, we can do research, we can do some, some digging and, and find answers, but we can't be afraid of questions. And I, I tell people that all the time. Look, we're not afraid of questions at church, so bring your questions. You're unsure about some, some things spiritually? Join us. Join the club because we, I think if we're being honest, we all have some questions about things, right? That's why we do some Bible studies like the Secret Church uh, broadcast that we're going to do, the Heaven, Hell, and the End of the World, because there's a lot of people that have questions about that. There's a lot of bad information. So if we can just get a glimpse and, and get some biblical truth about, about what the Bible has to say about things, we can be better prepared to give a reason, to give a, a defense for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Can't be afraid of questions. So if... Um, co- Communication with God. I had to think through my C's real quick. Communication with God. Conversation with non-believers. And community with other believers. Uh, let's read verses 7 through 18. This is just a list of folks who traveled with Paul. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. So here we have these companions of Paul. And and what we see is that Paul was not in ministry alone. He was not a lone ranger. And I think sometimes that's how we get uh, in our heads. Because if you turn to the back and look at the maps in your Bible, you're going to see Paul's missionary journey. And so I think sometimes we have this idea of Paul just kind of like going on these places alone. But he always had companions. He always had community with him and he writes churches to or he writes letters to churches even timothy we have first and second timothy letters written specifically to timothy who is the pastor of a church and titus who is the pastor of a church on crete paul is very concerned about the community of believers um so i want to talk just briefly about some of these characters that he had because it wasn't necessarily religious scholars that he has with him. It's just normal guys who, who he takes along uh, on ministry with him. Uh, Tychicus will, will carry the letter back to Colossae and Ephesus. He's mentioned in both of those. Onesimus is Philemon's runaway slave. Remember Philemon was a member of the church at Colossae and, and the book of Philemon is written to him about welcoming back Onesimus, who, even though he's a runaway slave, has accepted Christ. And so Paul's um, message to to Philemon is accept him as a brother, not as a runaway slave, accept him 
as a brother in Christ. Aristarchus is in prison with Paul as a faithful companion. He was with him during a riot in Ephesus, and he was shipwrecked with Paul. So you talk about uh, guys who have been through battle together, right? They were, they were the cause of a riot in Ephesus and almost killed there, and then they got shipwrecked together and almost died again. Um, Mark is probably John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark. Um, he was a teenager uh, when Jesus walked the earth. And we see this in Mark. Earlier in Paul's ministry, Mark had abandoned them. We don't know exactly why, but for whatever reason, Mark just kind of got, things maybe got overwhelming or he, had, he was part of one too many riots and he was like, I'm out. I'm done. So, so he leaves. Acts 13, 13 says, Now Paul and his companions... Uh, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. And John, that's John Mark, left them and returned to Jerusalem. So for whatever reason, he, he leaves. And then Mark comes back and wants to join him. And, and Paul is like, no. You, you know, you, you abandoned us once, you're not doing it again. Barnabas is saying, who's Mark's cousin, says, wait a second, we, we could use him. And it says that Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement over whether or not to take John Mark that they end up splitting company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus. But at this time, Mark has been reconciled to Paul. So we see the gospel working even in Paul's life and in, in reconciling believers who, who have disagreements. And, and Mark becomes a vital part of his ministry. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians 4.11, Paul specifically asks for Mark to be sent, with it, sent to him. He says this, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. For ministry. Uh, some others that are, that are listed, this Jesus named Justice, which we don't know anything else about other than he was there. Uh, Luke, the physician who wrote Luke and Acts and traveled with Paul a lot. You see that in Acts. He was shipwrecked with Paul as well. Um, so Paul never traveled alone. He went with other believers. He took part in communities. He visited different churches. We are not lone rangers as Christians. We can't be. That's why Paul describes the church as the body of Christ. Each having a different role, just like your arm does something different than your ear. And your eye has a different purpose than your big toe. But it's all important. It's all necessary. We have to be connected to the body if we're going to be fruitful. Um... So as we close, I just have a couple of, uh, really three questions to deal, dealing with each of these three points. First of all, how's your communication with God? How's your prayer life? Do you, do you struggle with it? Do you struggle to, to go to God and lay your concerns, lay your joys before him? And I think if we struggle with prayer, I think a lot of times we, we try to make it uh, more complicated than it is because prayer is simply talking to God. It can be formal, like we do when we're gathered together, where you bow your heads, close your eyes, you know, we, we, we go through that. Or it can be informal, laying in bed, driving down the road, sitting in class. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. It's just talking with God. I like the picture of Moses who said he, he talked with God as one man talks to his friend. That's the first question. How's your communication with God? Secondly, how's your conversation with non-believers? And I think we have to follow that up with, a, with another question. Um, do a quick inventory and think if you know any believers, any non-believers. 
Here's the thing, we can't share the gospel with non-believers if we don't know non-believers. And, and I would say in today's age, maybe more than, than it's ever been, we can't share the gospel with people unless we know them and are involved in them and know, they know that we care about them more than just a simple, hey, do you know Jesus? Let me tell you about him. I think today more than, more than ever, we've got to be involved in relationships. It used to be the average uh, time a person had to hear the gospel seven times before they were ready to make a decision. Now I think it's, it's even more than that, maybe as much as twice that. So listen, you, you're not gonna be able to just run into somebody 14 times and share the gospel with them. It's gonna have to come in conversations and in life situations. So just look around. Your neighbors, your coworkers, classmates, teachers, they're Non-believers are all around us. We, we, we live in a mission field. And I believe this is where missions has to start. So that's the second question. How's your conversation with non-believers? And last question is simply, how is your community with believers, with the body of Christ? Is being a part of the church gathered a priority for you? And, and, and I would say this, it's not enough simply attend it's not enough just to show up if we're going to be a part if we're going to have community with other believers we've got to belong so maybe you're here and you've been coming for a while Um, you're ready to join make make this your church home officially there's no set time as as I've told people many times we're never going to tell you join or stop coming. That's, that's not the way we operate. Um, I'm going to encourage you to. And, and I know sometimes there are, there are pains with, with other churches. Sometimes it takes time to heal, and I, and I totally understand that. Let me tell you, this is, a, this is a great church. This is one of the most loving churches I've ever been a part of. Um, and in a day and age when, when traditional First Baptist churches don't have a great reputation for being accepting and inviting and loving, you guys knock it out of the park. So it's a joy to not just be your pastor, but to be a member and and a part of this fellowship. You make it exciting to come to church on Sunday mornings because I know there's going to be an atmosphere of love. And so um, keep that up. And and if you're you're here and you need to become a part, take that step. Talk to me about about what church membership means and and, uh, the impact that has. Let's pray together as Gene comes. Um, Father, I pray this morning that as we close out our time, as we close out this book, you would show us the, the areas specifically that we talked about this morning where we need to um, improve, where we need, we need to walk more in your grace, um, whether that be our communication with you, our prayer life, or our our evangelism life, our conversations with, with those who don't know you, or simply with our community, if we need to make it a, a, a point to be a part of this community uh, here at the church. Um, whatever it is, I trust your spirit to move and to work. Um, so I ask that you do that. Move during this time. Draw us to you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from the Sunday morning worship service at First Baptist Church in Clayton. 
We are located at 223 Oak Street, and we would love to have you join us on Sunday mornings for Sunday school at 945 and worship at 11. You can reach us at 374-9285 or at fbcclayton.com.